Bibles out with me now. Let's turn to Psalm 100. It's good to see a nice crowd here tonight. I was, I was excited at first. I thought, hey, you know, this morning's message might have hit home and everybody decided to come back. But then I realized the kids were singing and that's what you were here to see. So I felt kind of bad all of a sudden. But that's okay. This morning, I mentioned to Joe's as I was singing, I, I saw a figure next to him and I didn't think much of it because Nabonita is, is now a permanent fixture next to Joseph and or Joseph. And I was singing, and all of a sudden, uh, that figure moved, and I looked over, and it was Brother Moline, and it startled me for a moment. Uh, I was wondering what happened to Nabonita as she grew larger and had gray hair. It was a sudden shock. But then I realized it was Brother Moline, and he looks very young for him, his age, and very fit. Just don't go on hikes with him. That's all I can tell you. It's, uh, you, might, uh, you might get more than you bargained for on a hike with Brother Moline. All right. Well, tonight I want to speak to you concerning the um, message I've titled, In His Presence. So if you would please stand with me as we read together Psalm 100. And I'll read out loud as you read along silently. And I'll include the title in my reading. So we begin at Psalm 100, a psalm of praise. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. And into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endureth to all generations. Let us pray. Our Father, we do indeed come together tonight to praise you and to worship you. We thank you, Lord, for this church that you've given us. And the opportunities that we have in this place to to serve you and to fellowship together, to be an encouragement and a help to one another. Help us, Lord, uh, we pray, as we endeavor in this community to uh, spread the gospel and to show forth the love of God. I pray that you'd uh, strengthen each of us and help us to uh, live uh, lives worthy of you, that we, might, um, that we might glorify you and that we might show forth the praise of God. Thank you for all that are here tonight, and I pray that their time would not be wasted. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would use this message to speak to our hearts tonight. Instruct us and encourage us, I pray. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated in his presence. You know, it's a very sobering thought to realize that we are ever in the presence of the Lord. To realize that at every moment of our life, no matter where we are, no matter what we do, that we are in the presence of Almighty God, and that God sees and knows all things. The psalmist states this very thing in Psalm 139, uh, verses 7 through 11. We read, Whether shall I go from thy spirit, or whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, 
Even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. So no matter where we may go, no matter what we may do, we are ever in the presence of the Lord. And David, in Psalm 100, uh, speaks about being in the presence of the Lord. He, he speaks about, about entering the, uh, the, the gates of, of, of the Lord. And, and tonight, um, I, I think that we, we need to follow this, this passage of Scripture and we need to break it down and, and look at what David is trying to tell us. We should live our lives with the awareness that God is present at all times. You know, when I was a boy, um, I knew how to behave when my daddy was around. I don't know about you. But when my, when my dad was around, I was an angel. I was the number one best kid you ever saw. When daddy wasn't around, not so much so. And my father being present changed my behavior. It changed my attitude. It changed everything about me. But you know, there's an old saying, out of sight, out of mind. And because we don't see God, and because we, we're not, we, we, we don't see his physical presence, we forget that he's there. And we need to learn to live with a conscious awareness that God is ever-present with us. So, with the time that I have this evening, um, I would like to share the message of David in Psalm 100 tonight as we gather together. So let's look at this psalm. Number one, I see in this psalm David giving us an exhortation to praise God. First, I want you to see the exhortation to praise God. Now, in verse 1 of Psalm 100, uh, David writes, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Now, the connotation here is, is that of joyful people. Uh, not people who are dwelling in defeat. Not people who are of a depressed spirit. Uh, sometimes as I lead the singing, I look out among the congregation and I see some of you smiling and I see some of you not smiling. And I, I, I know that when we come to the house of God, when we come together to worship, we, we do so out of a sense of duty to be here, and, but sometimes we don't really feel necessarily feel like being here. Sometimes we don't feel happy. We're not necessarily joyous people. And, and, and that's part of our human nature. But David says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Listen, do you know what? We have a lot to be happy about tonight. I was listening to a song in my office this afternoon. It's a song entitled, Be Ye Glad. I don't know if you've ever heard that song. But the refrain in that song goes, Be ye glad, oh, be ye glad, for every sin that you've ever had has been forgiven by the Lord. Be ye glad. Oh, be ye glad. Listen, if for no other reason tonight, the fact that God has forgiven us, all sin should make us glad. And we should be a joyous people. We should show forth the joy of the Lord. 
David is saying, rejoice in the Lord. And as I said, we have a lot to rejoice about. Rejoice at his goodness, for the Lord is good to us. Rejoice at his mercy. You realize uh, we don't get what we deserve? That's the mercy of God. Rejoice at his providence. The Lord uh, takes care of us and provides all our needs. Just let me remind you, we have much to rejoice about. Each year, I do the same thing with, with my students. I encourage them in, in one of my first few chapels messages of the, of the school year. I encourage them to go home and make two lists. One list, I want them to list. I tell them to list everything that all the blessings of the Lord. I mean everything. Everything they can think of that's a blessing from God. And then on the other side, make a list of everything that they have to complain about. And I guarantee you, if they do this fairly, the, the list of things that they should rejoice in are all, is always much longer than the list of things that they, that they should gr- complain about. We have much to rejoice in tonight. Uh, learn to take the time to count the blessings of the Lord and, and look at all the good things that God has done for us. But we do seem to find the time to have the ability to focus in on the things that we don't like. You know, we've become a very negative society. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. But pretty much any time you enter into conversations with, with just about anyone, within, within 10 or 15 minutes, all of a sudden the conversation will be turning to negativity, to negative things. Well, I don't, you, know, you know what I don't like? You know what I really don't care about? And, and, and that's, that's how it, it goes today. We tend to be a very negative people. Um, and we need to learn not to focus on those things. Now, I understand that it, it's easy to rejoice in the good times. When things are going well, it's easy to rejoice. It's not always so easy to rejoice when things aren't going well. But when things are going good, it's easy to rejoice, isn't it? You got a promotion at work which means you get more pay, better benefits. Woohoo! Praise the Lord! Huh? Yeah. Uh, your son or your daughter gets a scholarship to a big-name school? Huh? And you won't have to put out a penny to send them? Woohoo! Yeah, there goes Brother Andrew. Woohoo! Praise. And I didn't put this in there because you told me about that this morning. Uh, you know, I, I actually prepared this message quite a while back. But woohoo! Praise the Lord! I'll put this one in there for Brother Lena. Your football team just won the Super Bowl. Woohoo! Praise the Lord. We rejoice in the good times, don't we? It's easy to rejoice when things are going good. During the high times, it's, it's easy to talk about how good the, the Lord is. But let me remind you, the Lord is always good. He is good even when you think things are going bad. The Lord is always good. Whether your checking account is full or empty, God is good. If your health is great or if it's failing, God is still good. If your job is stable or if you are about to lose it, God is still good. God is good no matter what is happening around you and I tonight. There are two verses I want to share Uh, while we're talking about this tonight. The first one is Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 and 45. 
We read here, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. God is good regardless of what's happening around us. We, we have to be careful about that. And Psalm 145 is the other one, verses 8 through 10. I read, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. Oh yes, remember tonight, God is good. You see, God's goodness is not measured by how things are going in our life. Because there are many factors that affect our life. Sin, the curse of sin. It's, it's, a, it's a blight upon our life. And, 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 and yes, sometimes we, um, we do things that bring trouble upon ourselves. So we must, be, we must be careful to realize that God is always good. And he is always worthy of praise. Um, I think about when, when my son was born. Great moment. The nurse came out and said, you had a son. You had a boy. My mother and I were rejoicing in, in, the, in the waiting room there because I'm a good son. And my father told me and real men don't go in delivery rooms. So I never went in the delivery room. But as I'm, as I'm there rejoicing with my mother, the doctor came out and he said, I need to talk to you. And, and when doctors come out and say, I need to talk to you, it's never a good thing. Because doctors don't talk to you if things are good. And so we sat down, and he explained to, to my mother and I that there was something not right, and, and he wanted to get him to a, a bigger hospital where, where, where specialists could work with him. And I tell you, uh, it was, that was a low point in my life. But I went down the hallway and found a little chapel there in that hospital. And I walked in there, and I closed the door, and I knelt down at that little bitty, that little bitty um, pulpit they had. And I praise God for his goodness. How good he was to give me a son. I didn't know if my son was going to live or not. But I knew that God was good. Amen? God is good to us no matter what happens to us. What am I, am I, dare I stand there and say, well, God, you're no good. I know people do that. But God is always good to us. In fact, when, when things are not going good in our life, it's probably our own fault, not God's. Remember the truth of Scripture in Galatians chapter 6, where we read, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Sometimes the troubles we face, sometimes those problems are our own faults. They're caused by, by, by sin in our own life. We need to remember that. And David here gives us an exhortation to praise God. 
and realize that God has a purpose and plan in everything in our life. I preached a message 15 months ago entitled Rejoice in the Lord. I don't know if you, some of you remember that message. In that message, I, I cited one of my favorite hymns. It goes, God never moves without purpose or plan when trying his servant and molding a man. Give thanks to the Lord, though your testing seems long. In darkness he giveth a song. O rejoice in the Lord, for he makes no mistakes. He knoweth the end of each path that I take. For when I am tried and purified, I shall come forth as gold. Oh yes, you and I do not know what purpose God has in the things that he allows into our lives. All we need to know is that we are to rejoice in the Lord at all times. We're to praise him at all times. So first, uh, we see that David gives us an exhortation to praise God. Look with me at Psalm 34, if you would. Let's, let's turn to Psalm 34. Psalm 34. And let's read together. You, you read silently as I read aloud. Here, David... By the way, this is, this is when David was facing the, the, the problems in his life where his son Abimelech was, was rebelling against him. So let's read together here. I, I, I'm sorry, his son Absalom is, is rebelling. And this is when he, he changes his behavior uh, before Abimelech. But let's read together. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him. And saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. O fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come, ye children. Hearken unto him, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days, and that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants. And none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. Praise God. Praise the Lord for his goodness. And David in Psalm 34 reminds us how good the Lord truly is to his children. So first we see the 
exhortation to praise God. But then secondly, in Psalm 100, we see the edification to serve God. In verse 2 of Psalm 100, David writes, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Now, I must stress here that a proper definition of serving the Lord is necessary for us to understand the gravity of this statement. What constitutes serving the Lord? Well, I suppose we would have to apply the definition of a servant in order to properly answer this question. Uh, and a servant, a servant by definition first is an attendant, uh, one seeing to the needs of another. A servant, secondly, consents voluntarily. He is not bound or enslaved. A servant, thirdly, is subject to the authority of another. And lastly, a servant is defined as a hired servant. Now, from these definitions, we can understand that there is a distinct difference between a servant and a slave. David did not suggest here that we are slaves of Christ. You know, I've been involved with people who that's exactly what they believe serving is, is being a slave. But we're not enslaved to Christ. We are a servant of, of Christ. Although the Apostle Paul did consider himself to be a slave, a, a prisoner of the Lord. He states in Philemon chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ and Timothy, our brother. However, we must, we must realize here that Paul himself made, Paul made himself a prisoner of Christ. Uh, Christ does not enslave us. Um, a matter of fact, Jesus himself told us that we were no longer, he did not longer call us servants, but he called us what? Friends. In John chapter 15, in verses 14 and 15, we read, Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. So Jesus himself said that he calls us friends, yet this does not relieve us of our duty to serve. Think about your family for a second. Um, my father did not consider me to be a servant as we grew in the home. God, my father didn't consider me to be a, a servant in the home. He didn't consider me to be a slave in the home. I was, I was a joint heir in the home with him. I was a friend. I was, I was a family member. I was part of the family. However, he did have a list of chores for me. And he did expect them to be done. There were things around the house that I needed to do. They were my, they were my responsibility. And, and we have things in our Christian life that are our responsibilities. We're not slaves to Christ. We're not slaves to the church. However, we are servants. And we have, we have responsibilities and things that we must do. We are to serve the Lord in, in the work of his local church. 
and we're to serve him in the furtherance of the gospel uh, in our community, around our county, in our state, our nation, and even the world. We are, we are to further the gospel work. And this, this we are to do voluntarily, with a joyful spirit. We subject ourselves to the authorities God has placed over us within the church, uh, the pastors and the deacons. We, we submit ourselves to the authority of these men as, as those that, that are looking unto our spiritual needs and, and we serve and we, we, we give faithful service and knowing that the Lord will reward us for that service, both here and in glory to come. We must not become content to just watch others serve. You know, I've heard it said that 10% of the church People do the work, and 90% are content to watch them. But it shouldn't be that way, amen? Each of us should put our hand to the, to the plow. Each of us should involve ourselves in the work of our local church. You may say, well, I just don't have time. Well, that goes back to this morning's message. What's life all about? That's right. Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto, unto you. Listen, you put God first in your life, ahead of all these other things. What do you mean you don't have time to serve the Lord? What else is there? Service to the Lord is primary in our lives. Once again, we're not enslaved, but we, 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 do, we serve and we do so voluntarily. With a joyful spirit, we subject ourselves to the authorities of those over us. Do not be content just to serve others, for this willingness to serve is one of the proofs of our faith in Christ. James tells, talks about this in James chapter 2, verses 17 through 20. We read, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? I've known many Christians who are always talking about what they are going to do for the Lord. Oh, you know, I'm going to do this, and well, you know, I'm going to do that. Uh, My daddy had a saying. When I, when I didn't do what I was supposed to do, he had a saying. It was this, don't tell me what you're going to do. Show me what you have done. Talk's cheap. Oh, did you mow the lawn, son? Oh, Dad, you know what? I'm going to go get that lawn mower. Don't, don't, don't tell me what you're going to do. Get out there and let me hear the lawn mower, and I'll know you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. But today we, we, we just make excuses. We keep putting off what, what should be done. Never, never delay uh, until tomorrow to do what you should do today. Don't just talk about serving the Lord. And, and don't just sit by and watch others serve the Lord. Roll up your sleeves and get in there and get to work. David, he exhorted us to praise God. He's, he's exhorted us to serve God. But lastly tonight, I want us to see, number three, the encouragement 
to worship God. The encouragement to worship God. In Psalm 100 and verse 4 we read, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Consider for a moment the doctrine of our Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, we read, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, Jesus told us to worship God in spirit and in truth. But what exactly does he mean by this? Well, I can't tell you how many times I have had people tell me that they can worship God at the lake or in the woods just as well as I can in the church. Any of you ever hear someone tell you that? Maybe you're out visiting and... Oh, you know, I can worship God under an oak tree. I can worship God here. I had a fisherman one time tell me, well, I can worship God while I'm fishing. Well, I've also, um, I, I've also had Christians tell me that they can worship God even though they have absented themselves from the public worship of, worship of the church. But is that correct? Can we worship God in our own terms? Well, certainly tonight I want you to understand there is private worship. Uh, A time when we go apart alone and, and worship God. But to worship God even in private assumes that we will have our entire heart and mind fixed on him. Focused on worship, right? I mean, it makes common sense that if we're going to worship in private, at least, we're, at least our heart and our mind is fixed on the Lord in our worship. But that might be a little hard to do, screaming across the lake at 40 miles an hour on a jet ski. Hmm? That might be a little hard to do, fighting that seven or eight pound bass on the end of your rod and reel. Okay, Lord, just hang in there. I'll be with you in a minute. Yeah, there is private worship, and we, we, we of course, certainly, I, I hope and pray that all of us worship God in private and have a time of prayer and a time of, of meditation in private where we, we go alone and we worship God. But, however, there is also corporate worship. This is the worship of the church as a body. And this is, this is a worship that God has called the church, he's assembled the church to do. We are admonished in Scripture to partake of this corporate worship of God. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, we read, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. The context here is that we maintain a spirit of worship. We worship Him with all our heart. We worship him with our entire mind, with with all our soul. We worship and praise God. So the truth of the matter is that men are not willing to submit to God's authority in worship. Instead, men attempt to dictate to God the terms of their worship. In other words, they say, 
I will not participate in the corporate worship of my church. I will worship you when and where I choose, and you can take it or leave it. Now, men may not express those exact words, but that's the intent of their actions. But we must take note that David admonished us to enter into his gates, not invite him over to your place, but go to his. Today, far too many Christians feel no sense of obligation to maintain a faithful worship of God. And they would never join a church that attempted to make them feel guilty for such a life. I've had people come to me and say, your church is just too pushy. You're just too pushy. You always want me to come to church. <laughs> well, duh. <laughs> Why do you think we have a church? You're just too pushy, they say. Yet our worship, both private and corporate of God, is vitally essential to the health of our spiritual life. Let me tell you something. You will not be a healthy spiritual Christian if you do not participate in the, in the public worship of the church. The, the, because the private worship will fizzle out. And I know this, and I don't have to guess about this. I've counseled Christian after Christian after Christian who, who's backslidden and fallen away from the Lord and it always begins with them missing church. You listening to me? It begins with absenting yourself from the house of God. Now in closing, allow me to make a few observations from verse 4 concerning our worship of God. First, we must consider the privilege of access. In Psalm 100, verse 4, David starts out by saying, enter into his gates. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 tells us this, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, the mainstream Christianity today is so man-centered and it is so focused on man's value that many have begun to feel that God is actually privileged to have us take the time to worship him. I really think a lot of these guys walk around thinking, boy, God, you are so lucky to have me. Um, And if, if we are too busy to worship God, well, then God just has to understand that. That's the attitude of so many people. Well, you know, I, 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 I'm I'm not doing this, but God understands. No, 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 no. God doesn't understand. Don't ever deceive yourself and believe that God understands why you would fail to be in the public worship of him. He doesn't understand. Because he sacrificed everything for you. He gave it all. 
And he doesn't understand when we fail to give it all back to him. He doesn't understand. Never forget what a privilege it is to have the ear of God and never take it for granted. Prayer, privilege of access to the throne of God is the greatest, is the greatest privilege you, ever, you will ever have. So first, we see the privilege of access. Secondly, we see the priority of thankfulness. In verse 4, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. The priority of thankfulness. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul writes, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The priority of thankfulness. Again, mainstream Christians today, Christianity today has produced a generation of believers who feel that they are entitled to get everything they want. I remember Brother Ryan preaching a message on entitlement once. People today think they're entitled. Everything, they think they deserve everything that they want. And that's where mainstream Christianity is today. They they think that God is obligated to them. This is a result of a name it and claim it generation. I've heard that, name it and claim it. My father-in-law was about to go into surgery and I was sitting in his room and It was a scary thing because my mother-in-law had control of the remote. And uh, she stopped at one of these religious channels. And the guy was there, just send your seed offering to the Lord today. Seed offering, yeah, right. Line your bank account, that's what he wants. This name it and claim it generation, they they believe that they have the right to tell God what he has to do. But we better remember the priority of being thankful to God. Let me be perfectly clear tonight. The only thing any of us here deserve tonight is to burn in hell for all eternity. That's the only thing any of us deserve. And if you you think you deserve anything better than that, then you fail to understand what you truly are. So anything short of eternal damnation should cause us to rejoice and give thanks unto God. It's like I told you the song I was listening to. Be ye glad, oh be ye glad, for every sin you've ever had has been forgiven by the Lord. Be ye glad. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Remember the words of our Lord in Luke chapter 10. Jesus stated, Behold, I give, you, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions. Now, that was power he gave to the apostles. Don't any of you go out tonight and try stomping on snakes and, and scorpions, okay? We don't have that power anymore. But he says, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall be, by any means hurt you. But now look at verse 20. He says, notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you. 
In other words, he said, don't, don't get all excited because you got, you got all this power. What, what did he say we should be thankful and rejoice over? He said, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Are you saved tonight? If you're a child of God, raise, raise your hand. Then you, have, you should be rejoicing every moment of every day. If you lose your job tomorrow, rejoice. If you go to the doctor tomorrow and he gives you a bad report, rejoice. Oh, rejoice in the Lord, for he makes no mistakes. He knoweth the end of each path that I take. For when I am tried and purified, I shall come forth as gold. God never promised me a rosy life. He didn't tell us that it would be smooth and easy. But he did tell us that we would be with him for all eternity. Praise the Lord and rejoice in this and be thankful. The privilege of access, the priority of thankfulness, and then lastly, the, prior, the propriety of praise. It's a lot of pups in there, hard to say. The propriety of praise. Psalm 100 and verse 4 again. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Psalm 147 and verse 1. Praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God, for it is pleasant and praise is comely. Look at David said, enter into his courts with praise. You know, I, I've, there's a message I want to preach and and the Lord hasn't let me preach it yet, but it's entitled, Check Your Baggage. That's the name of the message. Check Your Baggage. You know, let me, let me admonish you for a moment. When we come to church, we should come with joy. Check your baggage. Leave your problems at home. They, they'll, they'll wait for you. Trust me. They won't go off without you. When you come to the house of the Lord, rejoice. Be glad. Be an encouragement to everyone around you and, 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 and rejoice and, and, and be thankful for what God has done for us. How would you like to have a song leader who comes up here and says, well, morning everyone. Let's all stand up and sing, Jesus saves. We have heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Well, you know what? That's what you give me a lot. You're all out. Some of you are out there going. And I'm over here thinking, wow, what happened to them? Did God revoke their salvation license or what? Are you not, aren't you still saved? Aren't you still going to go to heaven when you die? What are you worried about? What's the worst thing the world and the devil can do to you? Kill you. That's the worst thing they can do. Of course, they could turn you into vegetable. We were talking in the back, Brother Steve and I. We have these deep theological discussions. I told him, I said, you know, if it had to be a vegetable, I wonder what kind of vegetable I'd want to be. Because I'd want to be a vegetable that no one likes so they wouldn't eat me. And we kind of decided it would be Brussels sprouts. I think I'd be pretty safe as a Brussels sprout. Praise the Lord. Learn to praise him. 
Hey, parents, teach your children to praise the Lord. Don't, don't, teach, them, don't, don't, don't teach them that life is all about a paycheck and, and when there's not enough money in the bank, we're not happy. Life is, Jesus told us life is more than, than raiment. Life is more than food. Matter of fact, what is life all about? That's right. And didn't God already promise to feed us? Huh? Didn't he promise to, to, to clothe us? Didn't he promise to give us a place to live? Didn't he promise us that? Do you think we can trust him? Do you think we can depend on him? So why are we pouting? Why are we all sad? And why are we living like we're beaten? Learn to rejoice. The propriety of praise. There are three truths in Psalm 147 and verse 1. First, we see that it is good to praise God. David said, praise you the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God. Further stated, it is for my good for me to praise God. Don't get the idea that God is sitting in heaven like some poor jilted suitor just waiting on the end of his seat for me to praise him. No, no. The praise is for my good. My praise will teach me humility before God and my brethren. It'll teach me reverence for God and his sovereignty. It'll teach me thankfulness for the providence of God. And it'll teach me dependence upon God and God alone for my needs. So first, it's good. Second, we see in this verse it is pleasant to offer God praise. He stated, uh, praise you the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God, for it is pleasant. Uh, praise is acceptable and pleasing unto God, not because God needs to have his ego stroked. Rather, he rejoices in our obedience and submission to him. Much the same way you parents do when your children praise you. You dads can't tell me that when you overhear your son bragging about you that you don't just kind of puff up. Yeah, that's, that's me. Now, God's not that way. He's not so shallow. But he rejoices in our obedience when we're faithful to praise him. And then thirdly, it is comely to praise God. David once again states, Praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God, for it is pleasant, and praise is comely. Now, comely is defined as decent, suitable, and proper. I was, I was reading some commentary notes on this verse, and I read something that John Gill wrote, and I thought it was appropriate, so I'll read it. John Gill writes, Praise is due to the Lord and becomes his people to give it to him. It is but their reasonable service, and a beautiful and lovely sight it is to see the chosen, redeemed, and called of the Lamb, harping with their harps, and singing the song of redeeming love. It's a comely thing to see God's people praising him. So check your baggage at the door. Come into his courts with praise. For praise is, is, is good. Praise is pleasant and praise is comely. By the way, when we praise God, the angels in heaven rejoice. You know that? When we praise God, our neighbors 
are instructed in righteousness. When we praise God, our brothers and sisters are encouraged and uplifted. And when we praise God, our own spirits are revived. In his presence, each of us here tonight are in his presence at all times. So as David admonished us tonight, let us learn to praise him. Let us learn to serve him. And let us learn to worship him at all times. In his presence. Let us pray. Our Father, we understand and realize that you are ever present with us. That you are watching and everything we do. And Lord, sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we forget that you see things that we do. Sometimes we say things we shouldn't say. We, we go places we shouldn't go. We, we watch things we shouldn't watch. And, and Lord, it isn't because we don't love you, but uh, Lord, we're feeble people and sometimes we forget. We forget that we are ever in your presence. So help us to be mindful of that. Help us to be mindful of, of the fact that we are ever in your presence and help us to praise you and to, and to serve you and to worship you at every moment of our life. Thank you, Lord, for your word and the truth that it bears unto us. And, Lord, I pray tonight that this message would have been received in the spirit it was given, Lord, that it might build us up, that it might edify us, and that it might help us to have a better walk with you. Thank you, Lord, for all these good people that are here. I pray you'd bless each one. And Father, we, we pray that you would bless our pastor as he is away, that you would give him rest and that you would refresh him, that you would bring him safely back to us. And Lord, we'll praise you and we'll thank you for all these great things that you do. But Lord, more than that, we'll praise you and we'll thank you just for who you are. Not, not because you give us things, but Lord, because of who you are. We praise you. Thank you, Father, for all these things. We ask that you would bless, bless us as we close tonight. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.